Marsha, what happened? Peter hit me in the nose with a football. I can't go to the dance like this. Well, I'm sure it was an accident, sweetheart. An eye for an eye. That's what Dad always says. I never said that, honey. Shut up! Time to teach Peter a lesson. Marsha, eat a Snickers. Why? You get a little hostile when you're hungry. Better? Better. Marsha, Marsha, Marsha. Jan, this isn't about you. <laughs> it never is! <laughs> Better? Better. Several years back, Snickers ran, ran this ad campaign with the slogan, you're not you when you're hungry. In each of their commercials, a celebrity personality would show up as the hungry version of the person, portraying them as cranky, weak, whiny, in one case, as a diva. In the case of Marsha Brady, she gets flat out hostile when she's angry and when she's hungry, turning into a Danny Trejo villain, bent on retributive justice after taking a football to the nose. I can't go to the dance like this! So Marsha demands an eye for an eye. You know, just like Dad always says. Except Dad never said that, and he points that out. So not only is Marsha hostile, she's also distorting the truth and the word of her father. Finally, Marsha takes a bite of the Snickers, and she snaps back to reality. Better? Better. Meanwhile, her sister Jan is sulking Steve Buscemi at the top of the stairs, full of accusation. Marsha, Marsha, Marsha! It's not about you, Jan. It never is! I think Snickers might have been onto something here. A deeper truth. You're not you when you're hungry. But your hunger is for something far more filling than any candy bar and far more eternal. There will be days when you show up as the worst version of yourself, like Marsha Brady as Danny Trejo with a battle axe. That's when you need to remember to eat. You're hungry. And then go to the dance. This is my daughter, Addie. She's five. This photo was taken two weeks ago in Mexico with a group from the sanctuary. Here, you can see her looking quite like herself. Sweet, spunky, kind. If you've ever met Addie, it means you've probably been hugged by Addie, and she's always ready to dance. That's just who she is. That is, unless she's hungry, and it's been a long day, then you should keep a safe distance. When she was three, there were moments at the dinner table <laughs> when we were dealing with an entirely different child. Take a look. Yeah, you're probably fit. I'm, I'm taking a video right now, Addie. Can you eat your food? This is a video. Then you should stop and calm down and eat your food, and then we'll video you. You can't eat? How could I stop? How could I leave her in that state? Hunger had distorted her reality and turned her into an unrecognizable version of herself. So what did Addie need from me? 
Clearly, there's no reasoning with a three-year-old in that moment. And what good would it do to punish her any more than she was already punishing herself by not eating? For starters, I think she needed kindness. Kindness to help her change her mind. Kindness to wake her up to reality. This is the act of repentance. Beyond that, she needed space and time. Because it's only a matter of time before she'd reached the end of herself. And once she did, she'd finally come to see the hell she was experiencing was only temporary. At the end of herself, she'd finally come to see that salvation was at hand, literally just a spoonful away. Even for adults, truth isn't always easy to swallow, perhaps especially for adults. Sometimes we need it broken down into bite-sized pieces, into the simplest of terms. And in order to make it stick, we need repetition. Lots and lots of repetition. In light of that observation, I have chosen today's text, authored by the renowned 20th century theologian Theodore Seuss Geisel. You might know him best simply as Dr. Seuss. In 1960, Dr. Seuss made a bet with his publisher. He could write an entire children's book using 50 or less distinct words. He won that bet. And not only that, but 49 of those 50 words are only one-syllable words. And the book? Green Eggs and Ham. A story about a guy who has no taste for what's being served, and about the one who just won't take no for an answer. So let's begin. I am Sam. I am Sam. Sam, I am. That's Sam I am. That's Sam I am. I do not like that Sam I am. Do you like green eggs and ham? I do not like them, Sam I am. I do not like green eggs and ham. Would you like them here or there? I would not like them here or there. I would not like them anywhere. I do not like green eggs and ham. I do not like them, Sam I am. Would you like them in a house? Would you like them with a mouse? I do not like them in a house. I do not like them with a mouse. I do not like them here or there. I do not like them anywhere. I do not like green eggs and ham. I do not like them, Sam I am. Huh, would you eat them in a box? Would you eat them with a fox? Not in a box. Not with a fox. Not in a house. Not with a mouse. I would not eat them here or there. I would not eat them anywhere. I would not eat green eggs and ham. I do not like them, Sam I am. Would you, could you, in a car? Eat them, eat them. Here they are. I would not, could not, in a car. You may like them. You will see, you may like them in a tree. I would not, could not, in a tree, not in a car. You let me be. I do not like them in a box. I do not like them with a fox. I do not like them in a house. I do not like them with a mouse. I do not like them here or there. I do not like them anywhere. I do not like green eggs and ham. I do not like them, Sam I am. A train, a train, a train, a train. Could you, would you, on a train? 
not on a train, not in a tree, not in a car. Sam, let me be. I would not, could not. In a box, I would not, could not. With a fox, I will not eat them with a mouse. I will not eat them in a house. I will not eat them here or there. I will not eat them anywhere. I do not like green eggs and ham. I do not like them, Sam I am. Say, in the dark? Here in the dark. Would you, could you in the dark? I would not, could not in the dark. Would you, could you in the rain? I would not, could not in the rain. Not in the dark, not on a train, not in a car, not in a tree. I do not like them, Sam, you see? Not in a house, not in a box, not with a mouse, not with a fox. I will not eat them here or there. I do not like them anywhere. You do not like green eggs and ham? I do not like them, Sam, I am. Could you, would you with a goat? I would not, could not with a goat. Would you, could you on a boat? I could not, would not on a boat. I will not, will not with a goat. I will not eat them in the rain. I will not eat them on a train. Not in the dark, not in a tree. Not in a car. You let me be. I do not like them in a box. I do not like them with a fox. I will not eat them in a house. I do not like them with a mouse. I do not like them here or there. I do not like them anywhere. I do not like green eggs and ham. I do not like them, Sam, I am. All right, let's stop here for a minute. So... We've got two characters, Sam I Am, and a nameless, very much not liking green eggs and ham character. We'll call him Guy. So I'll just ask the question that's on everyone's mind. What is the deal with this Sam I Am character? Can he take a hint? By this point in the story, Guy has, Guy has made it perfectly clear his opinion on the matter. He does not like green eggs and ham. So Cut it out, Sam, I am. Leave Guy alone. Guy knows what he likes. Guy knows what's best for him. Or does he? For starters, it seems pretty clear. Guy has never actually even tasted green eggs and ham, although he adamantly states that he does not like them. In fact, it doesn't even seem that green eggs and ham are his real problem. It's Sam, I am. That's Sam I am. That's Sam I am. I do not like that Sam I am. And that's at the beginning of the story, before Sam says a single word to him. I think Guy might be hungry. And like we've already seen, people can get a little hostile when they're hungry. Now, where were we? <clears throat> I do not like them, Sam I am. You do not like them, so you say... Try them. Try them, and you may. Try them, and you may, I say. Sam, if you will let me be, I will try them, and you will see. Say, I like green eggs and ham. I do. I I like them, Sam, I am. And I would eat them in a boat. And I would eat them with a goat. And I will eat them in the rain and in the dark and on a train and in a car and in a tree. They are so good, so good. 
you see? So I will eat them in a box, and I will eat them with a fox, and I will eat them in a house, and I will eat them with a mouse, and I will eat them here and there. Say, I will eat them anywhere. I do so like green eggs and ham. Thank you. Thank you, Sam, I am. Sam just won't take no for an answer. He's relentless. Everywhere Guy runs, Sam, I am, is right there beside him, offering up the banquet of green eggs and ham. Would you, could you, taste and see? They're good. Finally, Guy comes to the end of himself in the abyss. And of course, who is right there beside him but the unyielding Sam I am, grinning and holding a platter of green eggs and ham. Painstakingly, begrudgingly, Guy relents. He eats. But even so, it's still not out of any pure motivation. Guy just wants Sam I am off his back. He just wants to be rid of him, to be free. Little does he know, what he thought would be the end of it was only the beginning. Why? Because he finally has a taste for what's being served. And now everything has changed. Not least of which are Guy's feelings towards Sam I Am. He knows now that Sam I Am wasn't trying to needlessly antagonize him. He was offering him a good gift so that Guy could share in his joy. So what now? It's always a good question to ask after a paradigm shift. For Guy, it's pretty clear. In each and every place that he refused the banquet, that's the place he's now determined to eat it. Anywhere, with anyone. Okay, my take on green eggs and ham might be a bit convoluted, a gross misrepresentation of the author's original intent. I may have needlessly complicated a children's story, all in service to my own theological leanings. So let's take a step back, let's turn our attention to another book, one far less prone to misrepresentation and misinterpretation. The Bible. Have you ever been reading the Bible and thought, what's the deal with this I am character? Can't he take a hint? He continually offers up the banquet of himself, a banquet sufficient for all, only to be rejected time and time and time again. Would you, could you, in a garden? Could you, would you, in the wilderness? Would you, could you, with the law? They would not, could not, with the law. Could you, would you, with a king? They would not, could not, with a king. And so it goes. In all this, I am is unyielding. He is relentless in his pursuit of his people, all because he longs for them to share in his joy. He longs for them to receive the good gift. Better stated, he longs for them to eat it. And he's willing to wait as long as it takes. Do you know what the term Eucharist means? It means good gift. But just knowing this fact doesn't make it any less of a mystery or any easier to swallow. Most of us would rather stay hungry. Most of us don't know what the good is, even when it's right in front of us. We're like my three-year-old daughter, Addie, at the dinner table, hungry, nearly unrecognizable. I don't want help! 
And yet, despite all the protests, despite the hostility, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, just a spoonful away. We would sit there at the dinner table with Addie and wait as long as it would take until all the strength she had to resist had left her. Then we'd watch as she painstakingly, begrudgingly took her first bite, probably just to get mom and dad off her back. Almost instantaneously, you'd see her countenance change. She'd start to breathe normally again. Gradually, she'd come back to herself. And by the time her bowl was empty, she was all the way back. She didn't have to ask, what now? Without skipping a beat, she'd jump up from the table and do what she was born to do. Dance! Tasting the banquet brings you back to yourself. It's fuel for the dance. But even more than that, it has the power to change your mind, to wake you up to reality. So let's turn our attention to the Apostle Peter, who received the banquet in much the same way that Guy did in Green Eggs and Ham, by which I mean that he first rejected it a bunch of times. Most of us can relate. After Jesus was arrested, Peter denied his Lord three times. I swear I do not know the man. I do not know him, Sam I am. After Christ's resurrection, Jesus asks Peter to profess his love three times. I see this as a kind of palate cleanser, a way to help Peter reacquire a taste for the banquet. And then comes the answer to the what now question that Peter never asked. Jesus tells him to feed my sheep. In that moment, Peter might have had some idea what Jesus meant, but he certainly didn't grasp the full extent of it. Just exactly who Jesus meant by his sheep, Peter had yet to realize. It would end up taking a green eggs and ham level event to get Peter to see. In Acts 10, Peter's hungry, and the text makes a point to tell us. He's so hungry, apparently, that he falls into a trance. In the trance, Peter has a vision of heaven opening up and a sheet coming down to earth. The sheet is filled with animals of all kinds, birds, reptiles, pigs, probably chickens. In other words, some green eggs and ham. Rob Bell gives us some context for the story. Peter grew up deeply committed to the law, to keeping the Torah, which included the parts about avoiding impurity. God was pure, and so according to the law, his people must be a reflection of that purity. The law included rules for food, but also for people. Just as you wouldn't touch a dead animal, you also wouldn't touch someone that was considered unclean. You weren't even allowed to go into the home of someone the law considered unclean. 
And that was basically anyone who wasn't Jewish. But for Peter, the vision changed everything. Acts 10, 13 through 16 reads, And there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I've never eaten anything that is, unco- that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time, What God has made clean do not call common. This happened three times. And the sheet was taken up at once to heaven. Three times. Sensing a pattern? As soon as Peter's vision is over, there's a knock at the door. It's some Romans. The ultimate in unclean. They're asking if he'll come with them to the leader's house. Peter agrees to go. When he gets there, he tells them it's against the laws of his people for him to enter the house. And then he says, But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. Sounds to me like Peter got a taste for the banquet. And from then on, he would eat it here or there. He would eat it anywhere with anyone. Before the vision, Peter couldn't eat any of it. Now he's free to eat it all. Before he had a system of categorizing who's clean and who isn't. But now, all are included. And this is how it happens. You travel, you taste, you meet new people from other tribes. You discover your previous ways of categorizing and labeling, of seeing and believing. They're no longer adequate. It's a reality check. To participate in the banquet is to wake up to reality. It gives you eyes to start seeing a glimpse of I am's plan for the fullness of time, which is to unite all things in Christ, both things in heaven and things on earth. Ephesians 1, 10. Richard Rohr puts it this way, When I know that the world around me is both the hiding place and the revelation of God, I can no longer make a significant distinction between the natural and the supernatural, between the holy and profane. A divine voice makes this very clear to a resistant Peter in Acts 10. This divine presence seeks connection and communion, not separation or division. What a difference this makes in how I encounter every person I see during the course of my day. It is as though everything that seemed disappointing and fallen can now be seen as one whole movement. All of it must somehow be usable and filled with potential, even the things that appear as betrayals or crucifixions. Why else and how else could we love the world? Nothing and no one need be excluded. Once you taste the banquet, you can't untaste anywhere with anyone in a house with a mouse, in a box with a fox, in the rain, on a train. Every weekday morning, I take the light rail downtown into work. One night on my way home, I had the most disorienting experience as I exited the train. Shuffling across the crowded walkway with hundreds of other commuters, I felt what I can only describe as this undeniable, all-encompassing connection to everyone. In that moment, everything was right. All was exactly as it should be. It lasted the rest of the day. At that time, I thought, I must just be feeling good about something that happened earlier in the day. But thinking about it later, I realized it wasn't a disorienting perspective so much as it was a reorienting 
perspective. It was a vision. And I learned that I wasn't the only one who's had it. Fast forward to three weeks ago. Again, I was on the train, this time listening to an audiobook. That's when I heard an account from 20th century English mystic Carol Houselander. She writes, I was in an underground train, a crowded train in which all sorts of people jostled together, workers of every description going home at the end of the day. Quite suddenly, I saw in my mind, but as vividly as a wonderful picture, Christ in them all. But I saw more than that. Not only was Christ in every one of them, living in them, dying in them, rejoicing in them, sorrowing in them, but because he was in them and because they were here, the whole world was here too. Here in this underground train, I came out into the street, walked for a long time in the crowds. It was the same here. On every side, in every passerby, everywhere, Christ. Everywhere, Christ. I sat there overwhelmed. The connection between the visions was unmistakable. Yet Houselander was able to draw out the truth that had eluded me. Everywhere, Christ. I felt like I was only just starting to see. We got back from Mexico two weeks ago. Part of our trip, like you heard, involved visiting people in their homes, connecting with them, hearing their stories. On one of those days, we drove to a squatter settlement called La Estación, where 20 years ago, the Mexican government sent a group of people to a train station with promises to relocate them and their families. Well, that never happened. In fact, the train ne never even left the station. This is a picture taken from outside one of the houses we visited in La Estación. Not sure if you can tell, but this house wasn't built as a house. It's actually one of the abandoned train cars. Not every family was able to secure their own train car, so in some ways this particular family had fared better than others. Still, their life was anything but secure. The government has essentially abandoned these people, so now they have to fend for themselves. Lawlessness is rampant, they don't feel safe at night, and none of them have the rights to their land. Any day their home could be taken from them and they'd have no place to go. We listened as the father told his story of the protest he joined a little over a month ago, in which they pled with the government not to sell the land to a big box store. We heard about how he was arrested, imprisoned, and about all the sacrifices he had to make just to get back to his family. Through the entire story, we were right there with him. Many of us couldn't hold back tears. There was no separation between us, no division. We had tasted the banquet, and now we were sharing it together in a house, on a train. When the family heard that our group was part of a church, the mother informed us they didn't have a lot of use for church. This was a view her father had passed down to them. He would say, if the church isn't going to give me something to eat, why go? It's hard to argue with that, and we shouldn't ignore the question. What are we offering people to eat? 
All I know is the best place to start. That's right here. On the night Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it, saying, This is my body given to you. Take and eat. And in the same way, he took the cup. And after giving thanks, he said, This is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Drink of it, all of you. Do this in remembrance of me. For all who are hungry, come and eat. Come get a taste for the banquet. And then go dance again.